Good morning and welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Landon running late because of traffic. Thank you very much. And Dunkin' Donuts. And Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know what they were doing in the Dunkin' Donuts this morning, but <clears throat> it was extra, extra special. <laughs> um, but no, traffic was really bad today. Was I don't it? know why. Yeah. But good morning and Lou. Hi. Hi. How are you? You say that like you're surprised I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised I'm here. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm here. Um, uh, so anyway, so how was your weekend? Weekend's okay. I don't remember my weekend. I don't remember my weekend. Well, I will remind you, it was bloody ass hot here. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> so um, it was um, a hundred. Well, we had five days in a row of almost 100 or at least 100. And over the weekend, I had many events and they were sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> And it was a lot. So all my workouts happened like at the crack of dawn or at night yeah. <laughs> when the sun went down. Oh, God, it was brutal. I went to Fenway. I went to see us get crushed three days in a, for the third day in a row. I didn't go three days in a row, but okay. I was at Fenway on Sunday. On Sunday it was okay. 106 degrees in stadium. Those seats, by the way, those red seats in Fenway Park, when it's 106 degrees, yeah, they burn your legs. Yeah. <laughs> After you slide off of them into the pool. That's of... a tough place. If you happen to be sitting behind home plate under the press box on the, on days like that, it is absolutely brutal. It's well, an I oven. was on the first baseline right behind the dugout. Yeah, so you and get a lot of sun, too. It was yeah. full sun. Yeah. So I only actually managed to sit in the actual stadium to watch for two innings because I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And I love heat. And it was... <laughs> the only time I ever got forced out of a stadium was Camden Yards, which is which I call the face of the sun. Yes. I got, yeah, Baltimore is tough in the summer. Well, so, well, so, well, they were, we were playing Baltimore. Yeah. No, no, we weren't. We Toronto. Were playing, sorry, we were playing Toronto. Yeah. Like, no, we were doing O Canada. Um, but uh, the third baseline, I kept looking over there going, I wish I was over there because the third baseline is always in the shade. It's in the shade, yeah. In Fenway. Yep. All the time. <laughs> I was not. So. I remember celebrating during the weekend. Hey, it's going to get down to 80 tonight. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Hey, listen, I, I mean, I'm really truly not complaining about the heat because I would take every single day that we've had like this. I agree. In a snow drift. I agree. Up my yep. butt. Yep. I know that's a weird thing, but seriously, because I heard, well, so I was walking in the gym the other day and this woman, she was, she just looked at me and how people like complain about the heat, whatever. And she, as I'm doing, and she looked at me, she's like, oh, it's so hot. I hate this. And, I'm, and so I said, I said, well, I'd rather this than a snow drift up my butt. And she yep. laughed and she's like, well, that's true. <laughs> I said, I'll take all these days because, you know, as soon as this is over, we're back to winter. The worst place, though, is Old Sullivan Stadium. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Preseason games now in August, Gillette so Stadium. early September. Yes. Well, because it used to be aluminum benches. Oh, yeah. It was just. And the aluminum benches used to heat up and you didn't have oh. to bring a pillow. To the parking on. garage with seats is what it, what it was. It was a parking garage? No, I said it was a parking garage oh. with seats that mm. was with aluminum benches. Oh, yeah. Now it's a multi-billion years, yeah. dollar complex for the New England Patriots. I know. And oh, what a good segue just briefly. And for the Elton John concert that I will be attending. Going to see Elton this John. This evening, yeah. yes. How old is Elton now? Elton is 75 maybe? Yeah, I was going to guess right Something around like there. That. Yeah. But he looks like he's 50, 40. Let's give him 45, 50. He looks great. Yep. But yes. My girlfriend's daughter went to see The weekend. Yes, On I know. Thursday didn't, didn't take our advice. She didn't take our advice. No, and it was two hours getting out of the parking lot. So, told you. Yep. She parked right in the smack middle of it all, didn't she? Yep. Yep. There you go. Yep. The plan is for me to walk a mile and a half tonight to get to the thing, so that when I get out of there, I don't have to wait till three in the morning to get out. So I actually have a normal day tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um. But uh. So anyway, the heat. So the weekend was um crazy here in New England because we have had quite the heat wave, and today it's beautiful. It's sunny. It's, it's seventy nine. The windows are open. The air conditioners are off because I think that was a lot of. I can't can't wait to see that electric bill. Yep. Oh. Considering I know. inflation. Oh, I don't even want to know. I know, right? Or the water bill, because we've been watering, you know, on our non-band days. Yesterday morning, after that streak, when I let the dog out at six, it was just so gorgeous out. I did not go back to bed. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It had a nice little Christmas to it, even. I know. Yeah, I, and it had well. Today has July that same Christmas thing with a little, a little yeah. bit of um breeze to the to the weather. Well, yeah. you're on the coat. You're on the beach, so you get that extra extra. Yeah. So, anyway, 
So, so my weekend was hot <laughs> and I wonderful and, and her parents usually listen. I don't think Emma listens, but my wonderful, beautiful cousin, Emma turned 50 over the weekend. And we had a huge party for her, a big family party. It was lovely. And, um, Thank God my co- my cousin has a pool. <laughs> That's where I spent a lot of my time. Um, but we had a great party for her. She actually, um, she, to put it mildly, she has a a plethora of disabilities and actually wasn't supposed to live um, and much less make it past yeah. her first year or two of life. And she's 50. So um, God bless her. Yes. Yeah, so we had a, a great, a great um party and uh, a shout out. I never get any compensation for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So a very big shout out to Keith Dennehy, who is a wonderful friend of mine and he owns a great business here in the area. Um, and it's called Sugar Plum Fairies. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, he has all these people, both females and males that are aspiring actresses and actors and so on. They dress up as princesses and they dress up as Marvel characters and DC comic characters or whatever, and they'll show up at your party and they do these like things or whatever. So, so Minnie Mouse came all the way from Disneyland, <laughs> Disney World, yep. um, this weekend to my cousin Emma's party for her, and um, it was probably the most amazing thing I have seen in a long time wow. because it made her incredibly yeah. happy. So, but he has a great uh, thing. It's a drive-by kind of thing for some people. He he capitalized on the pandemic. It, helped his business greatly he's also a dj and he does like adult parties too yep um not adult parties not, as adult in, parties. not, not no, as in the pornography kind let me clarify not as in the porno <laughs> kind um but uh but he has a it's here in uh, bill rick and mass and so if anyone's looking for an amazing dj and a person who does a great job and has been in the business a long time keith dennehy and if you know giving him a free plug so he's fantastic um i know you enjoy this kathy pointed out i made a mistake what did it what Kathy pointed out I made a mistake. I dated the show 2023. Oh, see, <laughs> it was thank you, it was Kathy. me, Kathy. It wasn't she had thank, nothing to do with it. Thank you, Kathy, for pointing out Lou's foibles. <laughs> I know that's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. <laughs> Glad it wasn't me that pointed it out. Thank you. Because then he would have said I was picking Why? on you him. You don't hesitate at all. Um, do so, people complain you pick on me? No, nobody okay. complains. Right. I pick, right. Actually, people say I should pick on you more. I know. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> if I told you half the things that people said, you and I would have, you know, uh, days. My favorite was Amy. You're such a guy. <laughs> I know. I know that was supposed I, to be Amy's, an insult. Amy's probably listening. Yeah. <laughs> I was. I actually was with Amy when we were sliding off the Fenway seats this weekend. Oh, yeah. In right. the heat. Yeah. Sweating. I don't know why women think that's an insult. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> or a poke. It's not an insult. It's a poke. It's a poke. Yeah. Oh, Kathy just said something else. She said, I thought she I lost thought, my oh, mind. Well, yes, you lost a whole year, honey. Yeah. A whole year went by. <laughs> don't remember a thing. You slept through the whole thing. It's a typo, okay? <laughs> Kathy, you just keep, keep giving Lou a hard time as much as you need to. It makes me happy. I know, I know. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> I would eventually see it. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's get You'd down. You yelled this. at me in text. You would. And you would have yelled at me in text. I would have yelled at you. Yeah. yeah because that's what I do. I yell. <laughs> yell. Mm. Yes. Yep. That's like when kids say, you're yelling at me. I'm like, what do you mean? Like no one's raising their voice, but it's this. They don't like what you're saying. <laughs> that's yelling. Yeah. Like when yelling, is it like actual screaming? So anyway, okay. I'll sell this aside. So yes, the last few shows have been like, you know, building on the sandbox theme. Yes. And um, so I had a couple of things that have come up that I want to combine for this week's show around not necessarily the sandbox itself, but sort of how do people land in their sandboxes, right? And and then how do they end up in the spaces that they are with other people that are in their sandbox? But so one of the things I wanted to talk about with people is um, instead of it just being about like a person coming in and talking about their problems, it's like, what drives the problems and what's underneath at the core? And a lot of times, you know, people think in psychology, oh, you blame the parents, whatever. Okay. Not about that. It's, it's messaging 
So I was thinking a lot this past week on what are messages that are out in the world that are sent to us as people. Um, and I'm going to particularly pick today a little bit more on like the, the, the female message that messages that get, get given is because, um, you know, this has to do with like, even in sports and you can see this in like school and academics and things like that. But I had several good incidents of anecdotal evidence come up this week with, um, parents telling me stories of somebody, parents telling me stories of somebody else telling their kids something mm. or someone, another parent within the parent family, like the other parent ratting the other parent out for saying something over the top about like the kid's anxiety or how to manage themselves and so on and so forth. And, and so I was thinking, okay, what are the things you don't tell people with anxiety? What are the people, or what, what are the things you don't say to someone with depression? Like that, you know, or, or addiction, you know, you, you can put it on all those things. Cause what happens is it builds your sandbox. Yeah. It's, it's really, then it draw. it's like, okay, it sets the stage. And then who do you pull into it? Well, you're going to pull in people that are similar to that have, similar to the ones that gave you your narrative in the first place. So, so some of the things that we can start with are anxiety. So if you have anxiety and your kid and you're looking at your kid and saying things like you have nothing to worry about. Now there's no bad intention. I think for the most part, right. I mean, I've heard some bad intention, but let's go with the fact that when someone says that it's not badly intended to say, but what happens is, is when you're saying, um, you have nothing to worry about, or what would you have anything to worry about? Or, you know, you don't have to worry because there's no reason to worry. Any of those variations, you're you're essentially sending an underlying core message that the feeling that the kid is having is invalid. Right. And so that is sort of the underpinning for any of these narrative messages that have good intention, but bad wording. <laughs> you know, unless there is bad intention, which of course I see that sure. too, yep. but, but that the messaging about like, calm down. So like, let's think of different phrases, like I'm anxious and you say, just calm down or just be present or you're overthinking it yeah. or you don't have anything to worry about. Okay. So those are like the four top phrases in my head that I can think of that really come out and strike me a lot of the times when people say someone told me not to because, you know, and so they feel bad. So anything we have, that invalidates the feeling. It, yeah. So yeah. these are the, these are phrases that although there may be there to help a person, you know, they're very dismissive. And they're not really, so it's either they're just undermining the feeling, they're invalidating the feeling, there's leaves no room for actually working out a problem. You know, if you have, if you've ever seen someone in the midst, in the midst of a anxiety or a panic attack, I always explain it like a golf swing. Have I ever told you this before? No, I don't think oh, so. Well, get ready. <laughs> and, and if you're not a golfer, you can use it with a baseball swing, you know, when you're dealing with like anxiety. Um, you're essentially teeing up to hit the ball, mm. right? Because the ball is going to be the anxiety. It's either going to go straight down the middle. You're going to shank it or you're going to hook it, right? <laughs> yeah. So when it goes straight down the middle, it's like, think about it. Like you're going to have control over the ball because it's got, you got it. Right. Right. But when you, you hit it to the right or the left, you shank or you hook, it's out of control. It's in the woods. It's in the water. It's you're drowning, whatever. So why does that happen? Well, you it's, it's because the ball gets hit wrong. Why does the ball get hit wrong? Because you didn't tee it up correctly, which means in your, in your anxiety, you're not teeing up. You're not coming to the table right. with enough skill to know how to manage it. And then once you start the swing, and if you've ever been in baseball or golf or anything that you're doing essentially, with momentum, once you start the swing, you can't stop the swing at the top. It's it comes down and it it can chunk the ball, it can you know punt the ball, it right. can it can do all kinds of different things. But when those kinds of bad shots happen, it's just like anxiety. It's out of control because you're trying to manage it in the midst of it, and right. it doesn't work because it has to start at the tee. It has to start before it gets out of the door. Right. So when you when you're in the middle of something or you're getting anxious of something and someone says to you a phrase like you don't have any reason to be upset. That actually escalates the power behind the poor swing yeah. coming because the person now has the burden of their own stuff and now they're 
in the eyes of the other person going to disappoint them because they don't know right. how to fix it. Right. So now the shot is uh, even a bigger disaster. Does that make sense? Yeah. Adds more anxiety to the anxiety you're already experiencing. So maybe, maybe the ball might've been self-correcting at some point because you could have gotten it a little bit closer to the center, but at that, at that juncture, now you've lost sight, you've lost focus, your concentration's off. You're worrying about worry, about worry, about what other people are thinking, right. whatever's tacking on. And now, now you're hooking and shanking all over the place mm -hmm. or you're punting or you're, you know, striking out essentially because you miss. Can you move your phone a foot or two one way or the other? What? Can you move your phone a foot or two one way or the other? Oh, am I, am I close? buzzing? A little bit. Well, is your nose whistling today? Probably. Oh no, I haven't paid much. I see. I wasn't worried about it till you just brought it up. <laughs> oh, is my phone buzzing? Ooh, that's because people are texting me. Yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah. So anxiety. So these invalidating phrases yes. just compound the problem that the person's dealing with. So it's really, you know, words matter. And so, you know, we create, we teach children how to create their narrative by those kinds of phrases, right. by words that may be innocuous because we're trying to sue the person by being like, don't worry about it. It's okay. Why, why take that away from someone? I don't want someone to worry about something, but I'm not going to say, don't worry about it. Right. Because it, it becomes so colloquial. It becomes so easy and habit forming to just say, don't worry about it. Well, this is the problem we always encounter in addiction, isn't it? That yes. you don't have the mindset to help them deal with their problems so from your perspective it's like you have nothing to worry about you understand the situation and and how it's going to work out and that it may not be as anxious as they are approaching it right but it doesn't help them you still have to get into the head a little bit well and and that's so it's an interesting thing because there's i use that exact thing is that when people will say oh, i just want them to calm down and i will explain i'll say you want them to calm down but that's like saying don't be an addict yeah you, you know you can't don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, Lou. Yeah, it's a choice, right? Yeah, and it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's and it's not like that. It's like right. you can't all of a sudden say to someone that has an addiction issue, "Stop." Right. You have to have tools. You have to tee up on. You have to tee up right. You have to be able to know how to swing. You have to know how to control. You have to know how to like correct when it's off course. I mean, it's the same kind of sports metaphor. You have. You can't just say like, "Don't be," don't be that way. At the point where you need self-awareness for your anxiety, right. you're given uh, you're given uh, denial. Right. And you can't deal with you can't deal with denial. It just adds to things. You need some more self-awareness. Why are you anxious? What is it you're afraid of? Right. And so yeah. most of the time, people denial, yes, but most of the time, people veer away from it just because they don't understand it. No, but the person, yeah, the person outside is saying there's nothing to be worried about. Well, there's something to be worried about because this person's worried. Right. They have, so, to understand, they have to understand why they're worried and whether it's valid or not. Right. Yeah. So interesting. So I had a, an anecdotal story this week of a kid and their father went to the grocery store and the kid, the father told the kid to stand young girl, stand here, not little, little, but you know, almost 10 stand here. I'm going to go get da, 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 and come back. Right. Well, she, she, she was waiting and he didn't come back for a bit of time. Yeah. And so she got worried because she was standing there with the cart. Just don't move from here. I'll be right back. So he came back and she expressed herself very well and said, I got worried that something happened because you didn't come back. And right. instead of it being, oh my gosh, I don't want you to have to worry. I was just like, and really talking it through with her, his words to her were, you don't have any reason to worry. There's nothing to worry about. Yeah. And so he shut her down. And so what happens with that is so important that when you teach kids that, that are expressing themselves correctly, that they're not valid, right. they're less likely to come to you and talk to you about things because they're they're trained in that the response is going to be dismissive. She actually got blamed. Yeah. You're being unreasonable. Right. Yeah. Right. And then it's well, and that was, and that's actually, that's actually what he ended up. He did say part of that, that yeah. he's like, it's unreasonable for you to think that there was going to be anything wrong. And then I wouldn't come back. So she had this concern and ended up getting blamed for it. Right. Yeah. 
Right. And so, and so what happens is we then stuff that down and hold the feeling and then it accumulates over time because we have one of those incidences, one incident like that can stop our expression forever. One people are like, really? And you've lost a valuable outlet for those right. feelings. You've lost a valuable counsel. And, and the um, importance of parenting roles, and that doesn't have to be a parent. It's anybody that's in the ability to give a good lesson, mm -hmm. give a good support, give a good ear, whatever that is. If you lose that credibility, that may be your only, that may be your child or that child's only outlet to be able to right. express. Mm -hmm. And therefore that child now has the sense of, I can't trust someone. I'm stuck on this island all by myself, which I hear now in adulthood all the time. People say to me, no one has the feeling like I have the feeling. And oftentimes when we do the trace back, it's because their messaging and narrative is the, all the invalidation that came through right. and their perception that then generalized to the world around them that no one can really be trusted that I have these feelings and I can share them because they're just going to say it's no big deal, which is why people apologize for themselves so much. And women tend to apologize for themselves much more than men. You'll hear people say, and watch this in your daily life, women will say, I'm sorry. And I'm like, for what? Yeah. You hear it just because it becomes so automatically, like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you, and I, and I'll say, what are you sorry for? And they're like, well, I'm sorry because I, I just, sorry. And I'm like, do not say you're sorry unless you either did something wrong. Truly. If you can't identify that you did something wrong, why are you saying you're sorry? And I have had multiple people say things like, well, I preemptively strike. I just assume that I'm going to have a problem or yeah. someone's going to say yeah. that it's not true. Or so people automatically do that. And women and I notoriously would, are put in that position to do that. And I would theorize that's the second biggest human fear. The first biggest human fear is the unknown. The second biggest, biggest human fear is isolation. Yes. And I, and I would say that they're like really close that, yeah. that's that isolation because they're both, they go hand in hand. Like I don't right. know. And then I'm alone yeah. with and myself and, and I'm my vulnerable thoughts. to the unknown. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but that, that isolation is real when you don't feel you have any place to go. Well, yes. And, and so when you're thinking about, um, and this is the other piece that comes up. In, I remember in, that being one of the primary reasons I started therapy. Like which I, thing? Which part? I have no one who can have that conversation. With. I can't have this conversation with anybody I know. So, okay. So two really good point yeah. that because when, when you get to a space, whether it's like in youth or in your, in your adolescence or whatever, that you have realized that in your perception that you have nowhere else to go therapy becomes your place. And I hear that all the time. People yeah. say, I have no one else to talk to because no one else understands. Because when I tell them these things, they say, you're worrying over right. nothing, right? Invalidation. Because no one right? wants to take the time to listen. Right. And to, or right. to deal with it. And also people, people get into the rut of, if, you, if I listen to that, I have to fix it. And then they don't have time to fix it. Right. But yeah. you don't have to fix it. That's why, that's why therapy and, and doing really good therapy is good because it's about not having to worry about that responsibility because I hate taking it back to addiction all the time, but what's the key in addiction when you get into these situations is, is shared experience. Universal so often, shared experience. Yes. Oftentimes uh, the reaction to that type of fear from somebody is, yeah, I understand that feeling. I have that feeling at times too. You know, one of those types of reactions. Well, and, and so that is, so going with the addiction thing. So, and the, that's with anxiety and depression too, is when people realize that there is a universal shared experience, that's actually what we call it in psychology, mm -hmm. that there is a universal shared experience where people can bond and be cohesive together over that knowledge. It's uh, very freeing for people, which is why um, AA and NA and all the support yeah. groups work beautifully is because when like-minded people in their ism or their issue or whatever they want to call it, come together and realize, oh my God, I'm not alone. Yeah. This is okay. That is so relieving because for so long, especially, you know, let's go with addiction for a second. When you're in that addictive space, it's so isolating and so shame-based and so about all those messages that come early on that create not the only thing but it's a big messaging of the core of like i'm not worthy 
I'm damaged. I'm broken. Your I'm support system can't understand. Right. Your and, your traditional support system, what you grew up with, what right. you've built all your life can't understand because you can't have the frame of mind of an addict if you haven't been an addict. Or Well, right. And also, or you grow up in a household of addiction and you're becoming a person in addiction. And then the people that you grew up with don't have that. So you've now got intergenerational and interfamilial yeah. pass along that's even a bigger struggle because now not only are you sharing their experience, you're not sharing a healthy experience. There's your sandbox. Yep. There's a sandbox that's got damages and, and the sandbox doesn't have a frame. The right. sandbox is just leaking out all over the place kind of sandbox with lots of problems and it needs to be fixed. But that's a great way of looking at it in terms of addiction is because when you have all of that, you're in a sandbox that's basically just a disaster because you don't have anyone around you that's going to share your experience of healthy. You only have the unhealthy experience shared, which is why when people get involved with, they have friends, right? They have friends when they're in addiction, but what are they? they're all in addiction together. So you don't go back to that pack of people. You don't go to that sandbox anymore because- what happens? You go back to that sandbox, relapse happens. Yep. I mean, you go, it's like going back to the packy. You go back to that same packy over and over again, and eventually it's a trigger to come back to that sandbox. So it's really rewiring the brain, whether it's about addiction or anxiety or depression. It's you have to come to know what your messages are that you've bought into that are not helping you so that you can get into a good sandbox. It's funny because I was going to mention the positive side of that where the addiction model is based on you're in you're interacting with people who have been addicted and have uh are in recovery right and have some experience in that and they can pass that along to you because they can share the experience and give you new experiences they can say yeah i was there yes here's what i did right here's what helped for me and it's funny you brought up the other side which i hadn't thought about if you're still in the same side that's behind you on the path how do you dig out of that you can't dig out of that it's very very yeah. difficult and that's where so I bring that up because I see so much of that. People struggle because they have the... And what happens with kids, teenagers who struggle, whether it be anxiety, whether it be depression, what do they do? They find shared experience. They find other depressed kids. Right. Yeah. Or well, they find like-minded people because that's where they feel like they fit in, right? And yep. so... And, They're not being judged by other people who have the same, are facing the same issues. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so they find the understanding. And, and there's two sides to that. It's really great. So, you know, I, I, I sometimes have to have people go into the hospital for a variety of reasons. Right. And, and when they're teenagers and that happens, I always am like, it's relieving for me because I know they're going to get really good help. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially with the places I send them. But I also worry because the, the like-mindedness with teenagers, which is why they have great rules in, in the hospitals I send to about like, they can't take numbers and take them as friends when they leave, which is really important. Yep. My, my big concern is always like, you're not, you may be going in as a 16 year old with depression, anxiety, and addiction issue, which is recent person I had in there. Right. But the seven other people that you're sharing the group with that you're staying overnight with, and you're doing a three week program with are all doing the same thing. And they're not all at the same level. They all have their own sandboxes that are, you know, yep. and I don't want, I don't want them to be influenced in the wrong way, right. meaning the wrong, not wrong as an incorrect, but the wrong direction to go into a deeper space, which is one of the great things about, you know, good programs will put in the boundaries of like, no, no after program stuff. Like, right. you know, don't, don't share numbers, don't exchange addresses, yeah. things like that for anonymity because it's a hospital setting and people do, but you know, it's really, really strictly enforced, not because people are being mean and not wanting them to have contact, but they're doing it so that those patterns from inpatient aren't brought back in case. Right. Yep. Now different when you're outpatient and you're going to groups, that's different because usually people are in a better, healthier sandbox. And so therefore they're going to bring it forward and then they can have those kinds of interconnections because the universal shared experience then is usually people are on already on the road to recovery. They're not at the beginning. So that's a little right. different, but it's so important because it changes the pattern of um, like you were just talking about the, you know, if you're in it, if you're in the crap behind you and it's not really helping you, how do you get out of it? It's the crabs in the bucket. You know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. here's, here's this one kid trying to get out of the bucket, like crab, 
crawling out and what are they doing? Parents, family, friends, whatever they're doing from where they came from that have the same ism or part of the problem. They're pulling the crab back into the bucket over and over again. That crab just wants to get out and they either, and they will, they can get strong and do it or they can, they succumb to it, which unfortunately you see that a lot. I think I referenced Eminem a couple of weeks ago. He, he always strikes me. His story is such a beautiful story of how his mind over matter really created his ability to get out of the bucket yep. because he had everything. He had lots of crabs working against him and <laughs> it could have gone really poorly for him. And I mean, he had to get his head right and he had self-awareness and he had all these things that, um, and he didn't really have any support people around him at all. He really well, had to do it himself because the people in that group, someone getting out is a threat to them. Is a threat to the, to the harmony of the chaos of the group. And it's a threat to their own validation of the situation because all of a sudden they have to re-examine themselves. You mean people can get out? Yeah. Well, well, yes. And that's, yeah. and I think I've told this story before too, about how many times in, in my practice, I've heard people tell me a family member will say things like, Oh, do you think you're better yeah. than us? Yep. Do you think you, Oh, you think you're smarter because you went to college now? And I'm only like, here because this can't happen. You can't get out of this. Right. Because right. that's their, that's their reality. That's their rationalization. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's not, you know, there, you, there's nothing going to be better for you. There's, this is what we yeah. had growing up. And I couldn't do it. You have. think you can. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in those, those kinds of messages, unfortunately, are part of that anxiety maker. Those are the things that at the top of the hour. I and that comes about. as things that are as innocuous as the first kid who goes to college. You know, yes. oftentimes they get blowback from the family. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and those, and that messaging is typically not just starting then that messaging yeah. was happening way back in the beginning about the odds are against you. You're not going to make it. Who do you think you are? Blah, 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 blah. How do you help someone dealing with anxiety or depression? How do I help somebody? No, well, you, we just talked about reactions you should never give them. Right. How do you? So, like, if a, if a, if a parent's listening or someone's listening, yeah. well, if someone says I'm anxious, you validate that first thing right out of the tape is you validate. Like, yeah. and if you don't know what to say and you're lacking something, you just say, "I hear that you're very anxious. I yeah. hear that you're saying you're anxious." For lack of any other words, it's not. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you don't feel that way. Yeah. Right. So, it, yes, I do. <laughs> you know. Um, it just came to mind. I don't know if you watched any part of the Johnny Depp trial, but no, there was one point. Yeah. This was like, it was such a perfect example of, of this Johnny Depp was on the stand and um, the Earhart's lawyers were asking him a question and asked him how something made him feel. And he answered and, you know, there was a lot of like, everything was like hearsay, 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 because they were calling like, you know, they yeah. didn't want him to, right? And he was very careful with some of the things he would say because he would sort of be funny tongue in cheek and be like hearsay before they would say it. But anyway, <laughs> so he's testifying and they asked him how he felt. And he t- he just he personally experienced a feeling and he said how he felt. And they they said hearsay <laughs> to invalidate him. And he looked dead at them and was like, no, I don't feel that way. <laughs> and like He questioned it. He's like, yeah. I uh, and, you know, and yep. but it was it's. You know, obviously, how can be fun. hearsay on how a person feels right, describing exactly. how they and feel? Was, yeah. And that was yeah. to his point in his tone coming back, yeah. like, uh, I don't feel that way, you know. <laughs> so, you imagine that here's an adult who's accomplished and yeah. can say, but little kids or someone that doesn't have that ability or they know something's off, and someone says, No, you don't feel that way. It's so stifling when someone knows how they feel and they're told, No, that's not how you feel. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, um, if you don't have a, re, I call it a resiliency person in your life, a coach kind of person in your life to counter that, that you can talk to yeah, and say, Hey, this person said this to me, or does this make sense to you? Um, or that you, you can just feel like, okay, this is a person I can just go and say, and they're not going to invalidate, then that's hard. But so to the, to the question is how do you validate, you validate the person's experience, like, wh- or you say, what's making you feel anxious? What's making you not feel good? And it's about keeping an open dialogue. Not if you don't have time for the person, you you don't just shut it down and be like, ah, yeah. you're not anxious. You say, you know what? Ooh, bad timing right now. Can I talk to you about it in a couple of minutes? Or so you're not just dismissing the person. 
you know, yep. so and a lot of people won't express because they know that people are in a hurry or people don't. So you've got not only the express the the timing, but you also have the knowledge that this person is not going to meet the need of validating me because they're going to say no. Should you address shared experience, though? You what? Could, should you address shared experience? In other words, if my kids, when they're young, tell me they're anxious or they're scared, I know what you're feeling. I've been there, but, you know. Start talking about it. So, so yes. So saying, so be careful with your wording. Yeah. Because sharing, sharing the experiences. Oh, I can imagine that's what it feels like. Yeah. Remember, you're not them. Right. And that's with even adults. Like in my, in my office, if someone says, I feel blah, blah, blah. I don't say, oh, I know how that feels. I don't say, I know how that feels. I always say, I can imagine that that feels blah, blah, blah. Cause I don't know. Cause I do know maybe but I don't know what their experience is. So I'm imagining what it is. So if you validate the kid by saying I, or a person, I can imagine that it feels bad, or I can imagine that it doesn't feel right. Um, so that you keep it open. Yeah. And when, uh, you know, it's different in my field, I can't share my experiences specifically, obviously, because that's not appropriate. But when you say, I can imagine it feels bad or I can imagine it's anxiety provoking and then you're a parent or a friend or something, you share that, you share your story, but remembering that if a person can't relate to your story, you lose the validation. Right. So sometimes yeah. it's better just to say, oh, I can imagine that's really hard. Do you want to tell me more about it? Yeah. It's more about being a listener. It, you're like a you you really have to drop into being a psychologist mode it's about being a listener so that you can hear the whole story so that you get all the information so the kid or the person isn't afraid to tell you all the details yep. because or they're or they're piecemealing it so that they leave out things that you might judge them for or they might feel bad about themselves for or something bad might have happened and and if you're quick to shut them down be like oh i had that experience too i call those the one uppers you know like mm -hmm. oh i have that too and listening to the story, getting them to engage in the story is asking them and helping them to process, isn't mm -hmm. it? Because putting it into words as they try to verbalize to you what the problem is, maybe it disarms it for them a little bit just through the process of processing where you're taking your emotions and putting them into words. Right. And, and yeah. what it's doing also is it, so it's, it's processing it, but it's also teaching that you can trust the process and trust a person Yeah, that there are people out there that can handle or can be present for your feeling mm -hmm. like that you, that you're not burdening with your feeling right. where the, I'm sorry has come from. I'm sorry. I'm anxious. I'm sorry. I don't feel good. I'm sorry that it's ruining your time or whatever it is because yeah. people take on that responsibility. They're somehow burdening with their ism or their thing. Um, which is also part of, I want to get this piece in too, is many times kids, and I am going to put this specifically towards girls because we are, we as females are pushed towards this a lot and boys have it too, but not quite in the same way. Um, and there's been lots of talk about this in, in research and social psychology recently about the messaging that we send girls about like, give uncle Bob a hug, sit in auntie's lap. Yeah. Um, you know, not, don't say no, it's rude. No. <laughs> no, yeah. we teach our kids, girls, no is no. If you want to say no, as long as you're being respectful, like right. you're not being a jerk and you're not being with a tone or mean, it's no, no, thank you. Um, you know, don't force your kid to give everybody a hug if right. they don't want to do that. That's not, that's not good. I mean, I've had this conversation on this show probably about a year ago, maybe even sooner than that, but, or closer than that. But, you know, I, and this is where I can share it because it's different in therapy, but, um, I was forced constantly growing up yeah, at holiday parties to make sure that I went and gave everybody a hug and I was the cute little girl and I was one of the only kids around. So I, and it was like a duty and I hated it. It was awful. And so not only can I relate personally to that, but I can certainly relate to um, uh, all of the children who are put in a position and boys get it too. But the impact on boys is a little bit different in terms of how they socially socialize it out. Girls, it what it teaches girls is that they really can't say no. So right. when the, the say no movement is there, that's what I'll call it. The say no movement is there. It's like, 
no, no isn't an option. No is there, but it doesn't really mean anything because people bypass it. And it's like, well, are you, it, was it really a no? Or was it, 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 it comes right. from the fact that the person doesn't feel valid enough in their own self worth to say, I'm worth saying no. Well, you taught you're supposed to play a role. Right. Because your capitulation to that isn't about you, isn't about what's going on. It's about how the, your parents have to deal with the family. Right. And how yeah. you're taking care of, of everybody else by sh putting on this show for what? Yeah. Right. And then what it's doing is it's dropping the self-esteem of the child that they don't have control over their own feeling and their body and their choice. And once again, your emotion isn't valid. And once again, it comes back to, yeah. and there's your sandbox <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. because, you know, like, you know, oh, you know, give, give auntie a hug. Uh, I mm. want to give auntie a hug. Why? Because you hear little kids be like, auntie smells. I don't want to do that. Or, <laughs> or I don't like the way that it feels when I sit on grandpa's lap. Well, you should be hearing that. Don't force your kids to do that stuff. Yep. It's not right. It's, you know. If they want to give a hug, like I'll ask sometimes like kids, you know, that are in my life, I'll, you know, little kids, I'll say, do you want a hug? And they'll say, no, and I'm okay. But people get so offended. Yeah, I know. They'll be like, yeah. oh, you don't want to give me a hug. You hurt my feelings. There's the narrative. And that now the kid, earned, now this five-year-old yeah. has got this burden that you now have put on them that you've hurt. They've hurt your feelings. Really? You're an adult. You're a grown ass adult yeah. and you need this child to give you a hug and know it. I mean, do you feel like they don't love you? Like Plus you earn that, you earn that, that you're connection. Like, Wait a second. What's going on here? What? You're not entitled to that connection. You earn that connection. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, um, I would love to say that this was like a 1970s thing only, but it's, it's very common still. I hear about it all the time. I correct for it in my office with parents all the time about like, they'll come in like, we had a big thing at this party this weekend because blah, blah, blah. And, and she wouldn't sit on uncle Bob's lap. And I very quickly will be like, she doesn't have to sit on Uncle Bob's lap. Right. Yeah. And and they're like, well, yeah, but it's rude. Nope, no, it's really not. It's no. really not. And she, and then I explain without the child there. I'm like, what you're doing is you're setting your child up, your girl child, your female child, to submit to things that put her in a position later to not be able to say no. Right. Hmm. Big setup, and people don't realize that that's like the line, that it's it's a straight line to a problem. And they're not <laughs> and, they're worried about their own the reaction of Uncle Bob. They're right. not worried and, about and, and the, what the family's going to think or what the friends are going to yeah. think and how rude my child is. And it's totally reasonable for your child to say, "I I don't want to do that." You know, ask them to do the dishes, and they say no. <laughs> yeah, it's a different, different issue. That's yeah. totally different. But you don't force asking them to do Uncle Bob's dishes. That's <laughs> a different deal altogether that, that's a totally different yeah. right um and and i think that uh i think that parents not all many parents bypass the thought that their kids actually have valid feelings about these things because they're just kids right and that's bogus every human being especially kids have very untainted, un, unsocialized responses that are true and authentic to them. And they only learn to be this other way because we as adults teach them into this. Right. And so, um, and that creates anxiety, by the way. So it's like a full loop here is that a lot of times people's anxiety you know, might be because the boss can yell at them or they're worried about like, you know, not getting a raise or they are worried about paying a bill or whatever. But all those fears of the unknowns and those things that we always talk about, about what drives anxiety and why people get worried about worry about worry, it all stems from those narratives back in the day. Yeah. What's, you know, what's more traumatic to a child than isolation from their parents? The fact that their parents don't accept their emotions. Their way of being yeah, in yeah. the world. Yeah. Right. Invalid. No, you don't feel that way. Yeah. No, you don't feel that. No, way. you don't feel that. Oh, way. you don't have a right to feel that way. And and well, and it's interesting because I have had have I have very good firsthand experience of being told that I don't feel a certain way growing up, and and I see it in clients a lot that they're told they don't feel that way, and it's so uh, burdening. And not only do they not feel that way, but that um, then they're told that the way that they should feel yeah. should feel. This is how you should feel. And if it's not, 
that way and you and you don't feel that way, it must not be you because you wouldn't feel that way. Someone else is telling you to feel that way. Now, that's a whole nother piece that parents do. Of, and it's not, that's more of like a two standard deviations away from the center kind of commentary. But I hear that occasionally of like, the parent will say, no, you don't feel that way. It's, this person's influencing you to think and feel that way. This It's, and, and in fact. It's the kids you hang out with. It, it, right. Yeah. Instead of it being looking dead center into the fact that the parent, and it's a psychological phenomenon. And you see this all the time in like religion, politics, sex, if you don't believe the same thing that you, that your parent believes, yep. it blows their mind. And so it becomes invalidating because the parent only sees that, that everyone should believe what they believe. And if they don't, then you're bad. And then it starts that psychological phenomenon of it, anxiety loop of, I believe it, your father believes it or whatever. And therefore you must, because you're my child. And if you don't, then it's a big problem. And so then the child says, I feel this way. And the parent says, no, you don't. You feel the way we feel. And if you, and then it's implied that if you don't, that's, well, that's a bad thing. That's, I hate to say it. That's low intelligence. Uh, uh, doesn't it more often come in the form of if you, if you feel that way, you're being dramatic, you're being oversensitive, you're, what are you, slow? You know, <laughs> it, it comes in a personal attack. It can. It comes in it, a personality fault. It, it, well, it certainly can. That's, and so that's, Yes many times it can turn into that. But I think at the beginning stages when I've heard it from people and, and I've had the, and I've actually had the personal experience of happening, it, it will start at those little, those little pieces. But then it, as, yeah. as one gets older, the personal attacks start now older, maybe being 10 or 20, but it's still, then it, the personal attacks is what, are you stupid? Yeah. What, you know, like, why would you think that that's ridiculous? You're, you're too dramatic. You're right. Too, or, yeah. or you're, right. Yeah. It's you're overreacting. Yeah. Right. You know, so, so right across the board, all those things are anxiety creators. And then when a person says, I'm so anxious, no, you're not. Now you just swipe it all away. And if it, now you're isolated. So say you're a kid or two kids at home and you have this experience, where do you go? I can't react the way I can't have my feelings. I don't have, a, I don't have a safe spot to be yeah. able to express where I, I can and so where do you go? Do you go to a teacher? Do you go to your friend's mother and father? Do you, you know, oftentimes kids don't. Kids stay to the stay to the homeland, so to speak, or the mothership, because the other message that comes is what happens in this house doesn't leave this house. And if you if I find out if it does, you're in trouble. So now you've been stifled and then you've been double stifled. But what they find is they find kid, they find a sandbox full of people that are facing the same thing, shared mm -hmm. experience. Right, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes that's helpful and sometimes that's not. <laughs> well, it, it's problematic because people who are in that sandbox haven't been able to demonstrate the skill to get out of it yet. Because so, they don't know how. So you're just walking in circles. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and it becomes just, just vicious loop over yeah. and over and over, which is what most people, most people, when I, by the time I get to someone, whether they're seven or 70, yep. That loop has been going for and a And then, long by the way, time. once you start to climb out, it's the whole cycle again. Once you start to climb out, you're invalidating the people in your sandbox, and they get threatened by that. It, yep. Yeah. And there you, there you are, the crab in the bucket. Yeah. Which creates anxiety. Yeah. Which creates depression. People often think it's all separated out, but it's really not. It's You have this anxiety that makes you feel down. Now, remember, so your, it's not your depression. efforts to get out are invalidated, you're, and it's a right. whole, you know, by the people that you've been, you know, sitting down with right you know people in your sandbox no you don't feel bad come back and sit with us in the sandbox we have fun here yeah because miserable people love yeah. miserable company yeah you know that never works no because yeah. because well, what is what and so you know you know you, you try to be better you try to get help you try to you try to um improve your experience right. like that doesn't work it's all it's all doom and gloom come back well, and sit with and us chaos chaos loves chaos and people mm -hmm. people clients of mine when i say that they'll they'll laugh i say you you don't want to be in the chaos but the chaos is what you know so you'll keep going back to it because it fills up your cup you know in visuals so i like to talk about cup yeah. filling and so if you get your cup filled by annihilating emotionally other people or passive aggressively annihilating them you're getting your cup full 
you're draining the other, you're draining, you're draining my cup to fill your cup. And then when that happens two seconds later, you're going to drain out. You're going to find, you're either going to come back to my well and do it again, or you're going to go to someone else's until I replenish. And then you come back to me. Because isolation is unacceptable. Right. It's less preferable than negative emotion. Right. You, you want positive emotion. If right. you can't get that, you'll take negative emotion because the only alternative is isolation. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that's, and that's, and that is the, it's such a quintessential piece of psychology that how often know, do you see that you in divorcing to to therapy to understand that this is, this is what happens to people. How often do you see that in divorcing couples where oh. the dynamic will just keep going? Cause instead of just dropping the communication, right. instead of disconnect, people engage over, uh, I'll take negative emotion. Right. Yeah. Because at least it's something. At least it's something. Right. And that's, and that's, and you see that in, in kids and families, you know, a kid will be looking for feedback and love and structure and attention and they won't get it the way they need it. So what do they do? They act out, they yeah. lash out, they do right. not so good things and they get it. And then the parent, they, they're getting it because the parents now coming at them for this, that, and the other thing. But now this goes on for years in yeah. that same way, because it never gets corrected along the way to have the kid find a better coping strategy so that the parent can reinforce it the right way because the parent usually was the kid having the same issue it's it usually runs generationally mm -hmm. like repeating and parents will say i never want to repeat what my parents did there you are you might not be doing exactly what you're doing close you're just changing the words or you're changing a little of the dynamic but you're still having the same loop i got looping you're yeah. looping 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 yeah. and for the most part most people are cognizant that they're in the loop but they don't know how to get out. So they just keep looping because they get hopeless that they can do anything about it. And I often will hear things like, I can't change anything. I can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. And I hate bringing but that's back. That's scary. I hate it's scary bringing to this speak up. Dynamic back, but it's just always so relevant. How many stories have you heard of people and how many times have you experienced yourself running into the coach that breaks that cycle? You know, oh, yeah. Athletics and sports, running into the coach who gives you tough love, who beats on your beats on your beats on, and all of a sudden you get a compliment and it's like, oh, Right. You know, because you, right. you know, you've earned it, first right. of all, and he's validated. You. Right. Yeah. Right. And the way and usually that coach, if we're using that metaphor and, and, and example, usually that coach isn't invalidating your experience. They're actually coaching you. And then when you do the good thing, they validate it. So they're they're not putting you down, saying you're terrible, you're awful. Then all of a sudden you get a you get a kudo. You're usually just getting coached. You're yeah. getting feedback. You're getting normal, healthy feedback. And then all of a sudden, like, that was awesome. Yeah. So now you're going to produce more for that person because they validate your experience. They validate, even bigger than that, they validate your existence in the world to yep. being something important and being worthwhile and being invested in versus when someone gives you the message of, no, you don't feel that way. Someone else is telling you that you feel that way. I don't feel that way. Therefore, you shouldn't feel that way. All those messages wipes all that yeah. out. And the coach is going to make you earn it. And earning that first validation. Right. Is, how many times have you heard the story? I mean, yeah. it's such a it's such an important part of people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. And and if you don't have a coach, and, and I've talked about this many times, if you don't have a coach to do that, you have a resiliency person. You have a person you get your emotional yummies from. So if you're not an athlete, there's someone in your life and it can be a coach. It can be a friend's parent. It can be a, it can be a friend. It can be, um, you know, a school teacher. It can be someone in a club that you belong to, whatever it is. There's, there's someone there that you can get your emotional yummies from that will counterbalance whatever the other negative thing is. If you're not too far into it with isolation. Yep. Unfortunately, by the time I see a lot of people there, especially kids, they're so isolated you know, and it's sort of a running joke in psychology that, you know, when kids come in to see you, it's really after the first two sessions, you realize it's not the kid, it's the parents. Yeah. <laughs> and the parents really should be in the room, but they're saying, fix my kid. Because the kids there is the conduit for because you hear all the stories of what's happening. It's like, okay, but you're never going to get the parent in the room. Right. So you, you work with helping the child with, you become their coach. You become that person, You're their emotional, yummy person. So you can give corrective emotional experiences for them to be able to go out in the world, including with their parents and have a tougher skin around messages that are negative and sort of buffering them out and being like, that's not who I am. And going out and seeking these positive experiences, the better sandboxes is tough for someone who's struggling emotionally, whether yes. it be anxiety or depression. Right. Because it takes a certain self-validation it takes a certain confidence to seek out 
to go try out for a sports team or, or go to the drama club or whatever it is. Yeah. Do you hear me? I'm mailing things. Mailing things. I'm mailing things. (laughs) Mailing things to the other sandbox. No, but, but you're, you're, you're right. And so if you think of it on a, on a continuum of how, how much drain have you got on your continuum of your sandbox? Like, are you, do you have enough to make sure your sandbox can be healthy or somewhat healthy? Or are you in just such a non-resilient, stripped away, isolated person, which is a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. It's really that space for people that you're stuck and you can't move. Yeah. Because you don't see the end. You, you don't can't see... create new relationships. You can't because someone who's normal isn't going to accept me. Right. And yeah. and and I think it's such a Quote, great... unquote, normal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when we talked about this with Michelle a few weeks ago, I think, you know, I always get that visual of, you know, you've been to a playground and you see kids in sandbox. You see kids on the swing. You see kids in groups together playing. But then you always see that one or two isolated out doing their own thing or they come over and they just don't quite fit in. And it's that I I always have that storyline in my head is what is the narrative that kid has got that doesn't allow them to step into that sandbox when there's all that good stuff going on because they're in a sandbox to themselves because something's going on in their lives. And it's, it's kids are constantly absorbing the world around them. And I think we have to give kids more credit that they are not, they are not, they are not people until they're adults is crap. They are people and they yeah. account and their feelings count and not to dismiss them and not to put, push them aside. Just look at kids. They don't get it. Of course they do. They absolutely get it. Even babies get it. Babies have anxiety. Babies have stress. Babies have, and that's why they cry. They don't have the words for it, but they know, they know what they need. They know what they want. They just don't have the words. So it's so important to realize that kids, kids have what we have, they just don't have the words for it. We have to know how to validate them to get the words to come. So, you know, that's kind of that movement of use your words. Um, and oftentimes it can just be an environmental change. I tell the story yes. about a best friend of mine when he was young and we were a bunch of athletic kids and this was a neighborhood kid. We were friends. We hang out living kind of in the suburbs or the outskirts of town. And uh, he was overweight and wasn't very much accepted in school, but he was right. our buddy and we hung around and everything was good. And he had his, all his struggles with this until he went to work and he started to go to work for Enterprise. And he just rose up through the ranks and they thought he was a golden boy. Right. And he kept getting these management situations. Yep. And you could see the change in him. In other words, he was just gravitating towards this all the time because that was a sandbox he was valid in. Right. He was more than valid. He was right. accomplished right. in there. And he always felt less accomplished in you other know, things. In other things. Right. And we always used to kid him all the time. Well, we always thought that about you. You know, you know, we're sick of hearing about enterprise. Just <laughs> come play cards with us or something, right. you know. But see, but that's so now there's there's a I'm gonna put that into like a gender space too, because for men, so many times I will hear about uh, you know, a man will have low self-esteem. I and I in particular I have a client in mind that I just saw yesterday. He had his sandboxes that he was at work. He was like phenomenal at his job. I mean, top of the yep. line, CEO, money, the whole nine yards. But that's the only place where he has self-worth. And now that he's retired mm. and when he retired, all of a sudden it was like a wall that hit him and went, oh, you have anxiety. You have low self-esteem. You don't have, because now he didn't have that right. space anymore for himself, which happens to people all the time when they retire we see it a lot in men in particular because women tend to have activities and other social structures built in men typically don't. So their whole identity was wrapped up in this space. And now they have to look at all the things that they hadn't looked at because they were getting their validation from that one thing. And now all the things that they had never gotten before are right back in their face going, now what are you going to do? Plus that's a male thing. Male males are raised on working. You're right. And producing. Right. And when you stop producing, you know, what's my, what's, what's my, my pur- worth? What's yeah. my purpose? Yeah. Right. And so, and that also comes from the creation of the childhood narrative, right? Yep. So that you have, you have m- multiple purposes. You have multiple things. If you're not working, what else are you? You're, you're a friend, you're 
a community member, you're a philanthropist, you're, you're a dad, an, you're, a dad you're, yeah. an uncle, you're an uncle, you're whatever it is, you're, you are all these things. And that's such an important conversation that I try to have people like, you know, someone that comes in my office at 50 and says, I, you know, when I retire, I want to have blah, blah, blah. And I start working with people on their retirement very early on of like, what is your plan? What are we going to do? No hobbies. I have so many clients that have no other hobbies other than work. We need a hobby because you got to have something else going on because you're eight years away from retirement and you want to retire and you're going to move to Florida. Well, work and what family, who's do? got time for a hobby? <laughs> right. Right. But you yeah. have, but you have to have life balance. Right. Yep. So it's about teaching that life balance and, and, but it's such a foreign concept for people. So, so it, it comes full circle from the childhood all the way up to retirement or whatever of all of a sudden somewhere in there, it's going to slam you in the face and go, oh, I have this issue. So, so we've, we've come around to death of self. Yeah. <laughs> and there we are. Yeah. Sports, and there we are. There we are. Sports fans. The end, yeah. as the end comes, it's in the death of self. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, so is, many but, men are, are their, their work, their, mm -hmm. who they are. Yeah. And, and women are too, but in a different way. Um, they, because women tend to be able to, like I was saying, they have a social structure that's different. They have, uh, you know, a lot of times um, they belong to clubs or they belong to community in a very different way because women women like doing tribal things together. Yeah, this is back to the sandbox because women will talk about things men won't. Right. You know, right. Men go out, they have a few it's beers, or they the go trending, fishing or the something. The trending is definitely coming up yeah. in psychology in terms of that, but for sure, men are much less, they're much more likely to do than to talk. If they have anxiety, if they have right. an issue, they're not going to share it with their buddies. Right. It normally doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, women will go out and complain about everything. That's not, that was nice <laughs> and sexist, my friend. I know, I know. Just having fun. Sexist. <laughs> sexist. Rude. Are you telling me I'm wrong? Uh, yes. Okay. They don't complain. Okay. Bad choice of words. I'll, I will make sure that when we end the show or before we start every show that I call what you talk to me about complaining. Okay. It, that will, that's and fair. That, and that will validate your experience that you're a complainer instead of you're just telling me things to vent or be yeah, cathartic. Bad choice of words. sexist stuff is so important. <laughs> it's an overly honest set of choice overly of words. Overly unfiltered. Yeah. 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 So. I'm sure this part of the show will get, <laughs> they're going to be like, everyone's going to be like, yes, Kim, right after Lou. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. I didn't mean that the way it came out. <laughs> it's so, it's okay. It was okay. a joke. Okay? It's okay. Yeah. Look, I, I hear that it was a joke. Yeah. You like that? Yep. I, gave, I hear that. I validated you're validating you. it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So, so the takeaway from today is, is validating feelings, mm -hmm. validating experiences so that people can say how they think, how they feel. Um, and they can say no and no means something. John sending me a lifeline. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> I always count on John. He's got my six. Yeah. Yeah. Because he knows he's going to get on the phone with me afterwards. He's like, Oh, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's all good. We're good, Lou. You know. know that. Um, safe space. Yeah, the safe space. <laughs> it's a safe the buffer space. and the window and yeah. the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Can't throw anything at me. I know, but I can come around that corner really quick. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I validated you. I validated your sexist statement that it was sexist. <laughs> this is a joke. <laughs> yeah, this is going. This is good. This turned. Well, this this show turned. <laughs> This is awesome. Oh my God. Swim. John saying swim. Having fun. So anyway, so validate, validate, validate. And and even if you don't share the experience with someone or you don't understand it, don't take it away from someone. That's the bottom line is, you know, be able to be present for it. And if you have nothing, if you don't know what to say, just shut your mouth and listen. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, such an important thing for people with kids, especially, um, but in your adult relationships too, the same thing, shut your mouth and listen. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned earlier with kids, especially you cannot, you have to keep that line open. You have to be a safe space for them. You have yes. to be a place where they can talk. Yes. Because they will shut that down permanently quickly. Yes. Be careful how you step with that. 
Yeah, because it, yeah. yeah, and if you and if you don't and if they have if they have even one iota of feeling of shame because of how they feel or something like that, they yep. become a vault of uh, you know a locked vault. Once you're not safe, that's you're, it. You're not safe, right? Once yeah. you once you think you can't say something, it's like oh, so you want to make sure you have. And that you open. should always be safe for your kids. Always be safe for your kids. Yeah, you would hope, but yeah, that's in that's in the pretty rainbows and puppies, and that's where I don't have a job kind of thing because yeah. that's not how people are. Yeah. So. That's not how people function. I understand. Um, so anyway, um, thank you everybody for listening today. And I love the fact that um, I was looking at all the get out, Lou. It's too late, says John. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Kathy thinks you're drowning. I'm drowning. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was fun. Um, so we do have um, Michelle will be joining us. I'm setting that up because we are definitely having Michelle and I will be doing a show in August mm -hmm. together. I will keep updating people about what that's going to be because it's going to be um, a topic themed show, you know, more than the free wheeling we do here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, anyway, so it, it goes back to the theme of, you know, the polypreneurship and, and just people in leadership and how to be uh, diverse and healthy and yes. strong and whatever you want to do and being able to, use your voice and say no when you want to say yes, when you want to make good decisions for yourself. So you have the best success and live your best life. Um, so anyway, we're teaming up to do two of those shows this uh, fall. So it's coming anyway. So everyone have a great week. If you're out here in the East coast, we're going to have 90 degree days. I know some people are traveling here from California and doing some work with uh, THB on the East coast. And Ooh. so welcome to uh, the heat because yeah. we are in it. So um, there we are. So, all right, you guys have a great week and I will see you next week.